Hi everyone, welcome to Tech Talks. And so Rob, would you like to tell us a bit about you? Yeah, hi, I'm Rob from San Francisco, California. I'm a type seven SOSX. Excellent. And Jane? Hi, I'm Jane. Um, obviously I'm an ISFJ. Um, I am a type six. I'm not really sure about my wing because I feel like I'm pretty balanced. Um, yeah. Awesome. And Roger? Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Roger. Um, I'm an ISFJ. Uh, also, same as Jane, I'm of type 9. Still not sure which wing. Pretty, I feel like I'm pretty balanced as well. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Jamie, ISFJ. Um, in Socionics, I'm an SEI. And in Enneagram, I'm a two-wing one SPSO. Cool. And Julie? Hi, I'm Julie, uh, ISFJ. Um, also, Enneagram 6, I think I'm balanced wings as well. <laughs> I'm really blurry. I don't know if you guys can see me that well, but I moved rooms. And um, what's really odd is that usually when I'm in that room, it works better because the router is in there. But maybe I had to move away from it. I don't know. This Weird. is great. As long as you're here. <laughs> yeah. It's so blurry. It looks like an aura. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm, ghost. I'm just a little ghost haunting the ISFJ panel. <laughs> you came just in time. We just did introductions. Oh, nice. Yeah. Talk about yourself. Me? Okay. Um, I'm Natalie. I don't know what you guys have all said, but... Um, Oceanics time. Okay. I'm a SCI, probably um, six wing seven, but maybe six wing five. I don't know. I've been into type for about seven or eight years now. Um, joined Twitter about four years ago. So I've met people through the type Twitter community. Um, and I'm excited to be here. It's going to be and great. See all of your <laughs> lovely faces. I'm so excited to see you guys. <laughs> It's nice to have you, Nat, at long last. Yeah, nice to yeah. <laughs> Love you, Natalie. We, we love you lots. And Nat has a YouTube channel called That One ISFJ, if you want to go check that out. And I'll have everyone's Twitters linked below as well. And so our first topic of discussion is, what types have you mistyped as ISFJs? For probably a good 15 years, I thought I was an INFJ. Um, and I, I live true to that. Um, but I think just in terms of my own uh, further research and, and talking to people like Joyce, I, I've discovered that since I'm an ISFJ. Anyone else? Yeah, I, I had the same experience. Um, so when I was younger in college and more extroverted, I tested as ENFJ um, and then uh, over time, I embraced my more introverted side and decided, well, I must be INFJ. And then just in the last year, I figured out that I totally misunderstood what intuitive versus sensing was. And um, I started reading up on ISFJ and realized that I was definitely sensing. Um, and I think what really hit it to me was was one definition where like if you're the person who will notice what's different in a room like someone has a new haircut or they changed the decor or something i said oh my gosh that's me 
Um, I guess I thought I was intuitive because I was an English major and I thought I was supposed to see patterns everywhere or I understand metaphor or something, but I, I realized that's not, not enough. <laughs> so anyway, so now I'm ISFJ. Yeah, that is an amazing journey. As an INFJ, I see myself as talking in metaphors. Everyone can can understand metaphors, but it's almost like being intuitive is a way of life and it's almost like you can't really get out of saying things in a very convoluted and vague and esoteric way. <laughs> so yeah, um, but that's amazing, amazing. Well, can I jump off of that yeah. to go into mine? Um, so I mistyped as an INFP for a while, like a good several months. And what you're saying about speaking a metaphor, I feel like I do the opposite where I always come back to something concrete to be able to explain a concept. Like that's how I have to understand, which I think is very indicative of being a sensor. Like it needs to be rooted in something you've actually seen. I can relate to that. I feel like I have had a similar experience um, as you, Julie, where I was an English major and I um, I did miss, I self mistyped as an INFJ um, because I've always considered myself like an imaginative person and um, really liked writing and like a lot of the stereotypical things that you would think um, an intuitive would like. Um, and then when I took the official MBTI, I got ISTJ and my dad is an ISTJ and I feel like maybe that thinking sort of influenced me. Um, I don't know, but it took me a while to figure out that I was actually an ISFJ. Um, yeah. That's interesting for me too. I, I enjoy art and music. Um, so I, I, that's one of the things that led me to believe too that I was INFJ. FYI, all my ISFJ friends in real life think that they're INFJ. <laughs> it's the most common mistype for ISFJs. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like some of the ISFJ descriptions out there, like if you just go online, don't really do the type justice or don't really explain SI all that well. Um, so I think it's kind of easy to mistype. Yes. Go read Carl Jung's definition of SI. Like, and it sounds very intuitive when you read it too, because of how much like impressions like carry weight. It's very cerebral. Yeah. Julie, would you like to add on? Those? Yeah, I was gonna ask what people thought about um, trusting your gut. Like I, I feel, see I'm using feel instead of think, um, that a lot of times I, uh, trust my gut impressions of people and um, and then it turns out I'm usually right. And so I thought that was an intuitive thing. Um, but could it be that we just observe things really well and don't, you know, and subconsciously um, collect all the all this data and then are correct about our assumptions based on that? Or is it, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I'm, you know, I, I'm usually right about people, <laughs> about my gut impressions. I have a conglomerative idea of what SI is because I've looked at like Carl Jung versus MBTI versus Oceanics, like what it says about SI. 
And one of the things in socionics about SI is how bodily it is, how you feel things so deeply in your body. And you see that too within like the MBTI version where it's like you eat the same meals because you know how it's going to affect you, that kind of thing. So for me, I feel like I also get those gut impulses, but it's like a bodily experience. It's very sensory. It's not intuition to me. It's just you're reacting. I don't know. Also, I think that I mean, I relate to what you're saying because before getting into type and just in general growing up, I kind of identified with like the word intuition a lot. And I think it's because the general definition that society kind of applies to it, it's just generally like any sort of gut feeling or something you really think you know, like deep down. And when you think about it, that could come from something like, oh, like you're a masked SI experience or even like your FI, like you have a, just a really strong feeling about something like because of your values um, or your judgments. But yeah, I just think that the popular definition of intuition is definitely a little different than like the typology definition and people get confused. I think that's a good point too. Like if you've had a particular experience with someone and you meet another person down the line that reminds you of them in some way, you could be triggered from that. Um, positively or negatively like you could have a very good impression of someone because they remind you of your aunt or something and we're probably most in tune to pick that up a lot of people assume and mistype me as INFJ I've always been very uh, I've always been very close to ISFJ I, I read the book please understand me and I took the test there I read the descriptions and all, all the things for ISFJ just make complete and total sense but it seems that sometimes when I talk to other people or they try to like get what type I am, they're almost always thinking I'm INFJ. And it, it's been kind of annoying just because when I ask them why they say that just like the way that I talk or just like the things that I say just sound kind of deep or intellectual and philosophical, in which then I have to then question them and say, well, like, since when did sensing and intuitive become an intellectual thing? Like, yes, I have a higher like uh, intellectual capacity, but that doesn't mean just because of that automatically and intuitive. That's been something that was kind of annoying, at least growing up with uh, MBTI, but I've always been mistyped as INFJ, but I always keep on reading the descriptions. Like ISFJ just completely, uh, completely makes sense. For me. I think a good thing to look at if you're a person watching this that's interested in whether they're an INFJ or an ISFJ, is actually looking at NI versus SI. Like I've had individual conversations with Joyce, for example, where she's very bird's eye view, very conceptual, but I'll be talking about my individual day-to-day -day experience, whereas she's talking about humanity in general. Like there's such different perceptions that maybe you won't notice unless you're talking to that other type. I have an ISTJ friend who actually talks about getting like really strong gut feelings too and being right about people. So I definitely think that differentiating between the um, colloquial definition of intuition and like Myers-Briggs intuition is important. Um, so like Jamie said, the NI would be kind of like the bird's eye conceptual view of things um, or intuition in general really. Um, whereas sensors do tend to focus more on their day-to-day -day experience. But I feel like I feel like both types can have that like gut level intuition too. Okay. What was the moment 
where you knew that you were a censor? When Joyce told me. Oh yeah, I, I typed Rob. <laughs> <laughs> he came in INFJ, he came out ISFJ. <laughs> That's close though. It is close. Very, very close. I think I first suspected when I um, started learning about MBTI and I wanted to know why I felt so different from everybody who was in my English classes because um, I was an English major. I was like, why is everybody talking about stuff that I can't like totally follow or grasp? Like, it seems like we're speaking different languages, talking in very different ways. And so when I started looking into the MBTI, I was like, okay, so I've got a lot of intuitives in this one class who are probably jumping around and making connections that I'm not seeing like the concrete steps that lead, that make those connections, you know, lead to each other. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm probably a censor. And yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> well, I'm curious about this for you, Natalie, because this happened with me. Yeah. Um, so I studied, I have a master's in history and something I had to learn was to look at the thematic point of a book which is something I never did. Like that's not natural to me. And that honestly seems way more NI to me. What I paid attention to was those individual like experiences or moments in history or sentences. Like that, those are the things I cling on to, like those little points. So to try to see broadly what this whole thing's supposed to mean was very unnatural to me. And I had that same experience as you where it's like people just got it. And I'd bring up such different points and I'd be like, man, am I stupid or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wondered that too, um, because I think it took me a really, really long time to get good at like, sort of pulling the meaning out of things. Like I could see all these little details, but I didn't really see how they could connect. And it, it just took me a lot of time and a lot of practice to be able to do that um, with, at least with texts that I was reading. Um, so yeah, I totally get that, like feeling stupid though, because you're like, wait, why is everybody seeing this stuff that is like not immediately apparent to me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we naturally focus on the functions that our brain has like strongest. So it's in our nature to look at those details. So it's like, we have to put pointed focus into finding like the conceptual frame. Like it's harder, it's not impossible, but it's a lot harder. Yeah. Um, I think for me, besides the reading about being the first to notice if someone's cut their hair, um, was realizing that I definitely think about my past experiences and what I've learned from them and applying them to whatever's going on now. Or I'll say to myself, okay, when this happened before you did X, Y, Z, and it turned out fine, it's going to turn out fine this time. You know, and once I realized, hey, I really do do that, then I thought, okay, this is more sensing. Trusting lived experience. Mm -hmm. For intuitives, sometimes they're at odds with their experience, unless it, it, it has like a larger, like, like, not even that, like, I don't know how to explain it. Sorry, it's hard to explain intuition. It's it's kind of big because I I'm noticing something that's different, but I don't know how to say it. So I'm kind of like, so for me, I'm like indifferent to my experience. <laughs> like it, it doesn't 
show me anything. And so when I hear someone talk about their experience, like it means something, it's surprising to me. I know not all INFJs are like this, but I'm trying to explain something that's it's difficult to explain. Well, I totally see that though, um, what you're saying, because when I talk to NJs in particular, they're so focused on how like the world generally is, let's say, because you're so far back that looking at one individual person's life from a subjective experience seems almost like non-essential, like it's not enough or something to really pay attention to because it's it's one factor in millions of lives or something if you're looking at, you know, people. But for SI, it's like, tell me what you did in a day. Like, I need to actually know that. That's information I want to know. That's what I'm interested in. Like, that's how I go about, I don't know, my relationships. I like hearing about things. And if I don't have those details, it's like, do you care about me? Like, you're not telling me what you do every day, you know? <laughs> so different mm -hmm. that's very true and and so rob it's interesting so you're a very creative innovative isfj you've won awards for being like extremely innovative and and so if that type of creativity is within isfj realm possibility and i thought it'd be cool for you to maybe talk about that or whatever you'd like to talk about too <laughs> wow um yeah for me, uh, just in terms of my background, I worked in government for 25 years, um, starting from the bottom and working my way up to the top, uh, crawling my way up to the top. And what I found is in innovation and leadership, um, some of the difficulties we face as I ISFJs are that um, we want to contribute, we want to um, we want to give it our all, but it can be really emotionally draining. I think a great example of that, I, I was uh, giving a, a presentation to over 500 people um, and I'm standing here on the stage and the lights are on me and the cameras are rolling and probably for a good 10 second pause, I saw my life flash before my eyes because it's just the shock. <laughs> um, but once you get beyond that is once you get beyond the realize that, hey, I'm, I can actually accomplish something and um, I can actually speak to that passionately you give it your all. Um, it, so in that case, I actually left that place. Um, I left after I spoke. I got in an elevator and somebody said, wow, you look pale white. And I, I literally look like a ghost um, because it, it took everything out of me to do that. Um, and I think it, what that talks about to me is ISFJs need to work and, and get out of their comfort zone um, we tend to stay in, in that one little particular comfort zone and we stick with that, but we really need to work beyond that. Um, and I think the other thing for me is I've had to learn how to lighten up. Um, I, I sometimes is very serious, but I have to learn how to lighten up and kind of roll with it. So I think in, in using those two techniques, um, I was able to move up and I was able to accomplish many great things. You are so incredibly accomplished, Rob. You're like the picture boy for a successful ISFJ. I feel bad if I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm always like wowed by your accomplishments. <laughs> yeah. But you know what it's interesting is through my accomplishments, um, I've met a lot of different people. A lot of it was not just necessarily the work I was doing, but a lot of the volunteer work that came out of that work. So um, I would volunteer on the work weekends to teach children about cybersecurity or about computer technology or get them excited about computer careers. 
Um, and that's led me to meet other people with like-minded um, um, things going on in their lives. And, and I, I think that's helped me build some good relationships out there with people. Yeah. The meeting of like minds is kind of like this panel right now with the ISFJs. <laughs> Literally the same wiring. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing info, everyone. And so I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about SI and everyone's experience with SI. Anything that really hit home about SI? Yeah, I think oh. for me, uh, if we're SI dominant types, we like to think carefully before we um, are speaking and we put a lot of thought into the words that we use. Um, so sometimes when people cut us off, um, that, that's, a that's a major no-no for, for me. I think a good example of SI is um, knowing that objects are charged with information. So for example, my dad is dating someone right now who she did either SI dominant or SI auxiliary. And um, she knows that like every time I go and get like Hardee's, I'll get the same meal, right? And so one day, like I just had my Hardee's cup in the fridge. And she was like, oh, okay. Like, because I see this, I know that you went and did that. So you probably had a hard day. Like you catalog all of these information, um, all this information off of objects that you can infer about other people based on what you naturally see day to day. I think another good way to look at SI um, is like those games where it's like, look at these two pictures, see what's changed. You know, like what's out of place? Because like, even in your natural environment, your stapler goes here. If it's not there, It'll really bother you. <laughs> like if someone puts something out of place because you have a specific place you need it um, for things to flow naturally, that's another way to look at it. Then we go into impressions where it's like you have these specific moments in time that carry quite a bit of meaning for you. Um, maybe it's like you had a very special talk with your dad or something and there'll be an object in your environment that your mind links onto. So maybe you're looking at like a picture of a car and then in the future, every time you see that car, you go back to that conversation with your dad and all the feelings you have with your dad and the moments. And um, so SI is very dynamic, actually. It's not as simplistic, I think, as it's presented often. It's very colorful. Yeah, I find SFJs are great and knowing the particularities of what make you you. For example, I have a relative who knows like what my favorite foods are what my favorite objects are like she'll go like Joyce this was like your favorite blanket and I'm like I didn't even know I had a favorite blanket but like <laughs> like she knows my preferences more than I know my preferences and that was like really sweet I feel loved like she knows the way I like certain like meals and I I don't even know that I liked it that way and I, she's like yeah Joyce like you always smile a little more when you when you eat this and I'm like wow I, I love you <laughs> yeah it's like you catalog the reactions of people of people to like stimulus in some way so it's like you figure out that like for example someone in my family hates Hello Kitty and so as a joke I'll get them Hello Kitty stuff and I'll know that their reaction is going to be like are you kidding me but because I want that reaction I'll <laughs> I'll do it, but I'll do the opposite too, where it's like, I know you love chocolate, so I'm going to give this to you knowing it's going to make your day. I don't know. There's, I guess, a lot of uses for it. Just we pay attention to those details that seem significant to us. 
That's that's really helpful. Um, yeah, I, I can totally see that in my own life, <laughs> my, my experiences. Um, the 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 like where's Waldo type books and stuff. Like I've always been really good at those, <laughs> being able to pick out stuff. Um, which makes me think one of my daughters is one is a, a sensing as well because she's really good at it. Um, the knowing those little details about what my kids like and don't like. And yeah, that was very useful. It's coming together. <laughs> I think a good example too, I just have all these examples, I guess, but one of my siblings is an ISTJ. And what she hates is when you make a pan of brownies and you cut out a brownie from the middle of the pan, <laughs> because you're, that's a, a no, no for should, right? Like the right way to normally eat a brownie is to cut off, you know, Start from one side and go to the other. Like SI has that kind of expectation set up of what you can expect in your environment. And so when chaos comes in, like someone takes a brownie from the middle of the pan, you're going to be like triggered. Whereas people who don't care about the sensory don't care. Like they'll just take a brownie. It's a brownie. It's It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that's funny, but I, I feel like with age, though, I've chilled and that that kind of stuff doesn't bother me as much anymore because I'm like, life's too short to be bothered with that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I see what you're saying, though, because, but mostly I would just observe it. I would just say, like, what the heck? Who took the middle? You know, who did that? And I would laugh about it, but I wouldn't. I don't know if it would trigger me. I would just be like, whatever, you know, that's. I think I'd get triggered. Like I've watched my sister get triggered, but I know I feel like I would too. Maybe it's like, hmm. like the older you get, the more your other functions develop. So maybe if you're not so focused on that SI expectation, you become more open yeah. to what your environment presents. I'm not yeah. there yet. Maybe it's after having four kids and having to accept chaos. I mean, it's really, you know, I got to pick my battles. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. though, too, because it's like you have your own sense of normal. Like if, if part yeah, of your normal true. is my normal like, is chaos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In some ways. I like that point. I kind of have an example of that too. Um, my dad is an ISTJ and my mom is an ENFP. Um, and I have two siblings, so they had three kids. Um, and my dad likes things to be neat and clean and he'll like periodically clean up the house and throw away papers and stuff like that. But in the interim, he just kind of lives with the chaos and I think he's learned to adapt to it. <laughs> um, it's funny, like if you go into my parents' room, my mom's side of the bed and her end table are just like packed full of stuff and it's always like, you know, a pile of something. And my dad is like very neat. And <laughs> oh, I love, I feel like I keep commenting, but I love that because what's stronger, chaos or control? Usually chaos, because with control, all you can do is take preventative measures, but some other thing's gonna come up and like slam you, which is totally like inferior NE worry all the time yeah I feel like even um with starting a new job this year like I've had to like every time something new that's stressful comes up it's been like a, oh my god it's hitting me for the first time and I hate it like I hate that chaos but the more it happens the more I'm like 
okay, you know, I've dealt with this before. I can deal with it again. And it's just going to keep happening. And now it's my normal. <laughs> yeah. You almost learn to navigate those specific brands of chaos or something. Mm -hmm. And then you start talking to an any dom. <laughs> and then all the chaos comes in, in a good way, you know. I know. I love it. Uh, I love any doms. They're so much fun. <laughs> yes. And so, ISFJs, any more experiences with SI? Jane? Roger? Yeah, I mean, ever since being like young um i have always felt like i've always been just so focused like on my memories like on my past like i feel like everything that i've gone through in my life i can just play it out like a movie in my head i can feel the same feeling that i did before i can go back in time and just see it all in my head um and i'm just always astounded at how si just is so automatic i mean obviously it's our primary function but it's it's incredible just how very automatic that is how it's almost like we just don't have much control over that. It's just literally how we live our lives, just SI, just seeing those patterns or seeing the past, um, those kinds of things. But yeah, yeah, but that's been my experience at least. That's beautiful. And so it makes me wonder, because ISFJs are able to vividly go over their memories, does it, because they're a feeler, does it ever make them like sentimental about their feelings? I mean, about their memories? First comes like the memory, the memories, the past things, but then after that comes the feeling. <laughs> so whatever memory we conjure up, whatever thing that we're thinking about, that comes first. Whatever that experience is, then that's when all the emotions come through secondary, being that FD is our auxiliary function. I know earlier I was talking about how objects can be charged and that includes people, you know? So if there's, some kind of connection you have that, you know, brings positive or negative feelings, like you're going to end up feeling it after reminiscing or, you know, we do a lot of post-processing, which I know is something that INFJs do too with TI. Like for us, it's like we're sorting through our experience to see how we feel about it or what we can logically assess about ourselves from these things. Um, yeah. Um, I feel like what you said, Roger, about the um, the theory coming after the like sensory stuff, um, or maybe that's not what you're saying. I feel like <laughs> I spaced out for a second. Okay, um, yeah. So I feel like when I'm um, in a new job, it will take me like a year or so, maybe more, um, to realize like why I'm doing all the things I'm doing. Like I feel like I can learn processes and stuff pretty quickly, but I won't always get like, okay, this is exactly why I'm doing this. It will take me longer to actually piece together the like, the, the rationale behind it, I guess. Excellent discussion. And so let's move on to Effie. How do you guys experience extroverted feeling as your second function? So for me, as an ISFJ, I need to talk about my feelings and emotions in order to get a grasp of what's going on inside of me. Um, so we're not as attuned to the outer emotions than the inner ones. So um, we need to discuss our feelings to get that sorted out. 
Um, so sometimes if, if, for example, if, if somebody were to belittle me or my emotions, that would really frustrate or embarrass me. Um, and I, you know, I have to deal with that at times. Yeah, I would say um, what we pay attention to is what is expressed from other people. Um, that's, if the emotion is expressed, then it exists. If it's not expressed, it's like, I think that's what makes it hard sometimes with FI users when we're talking to FI users because they take so much internally. So we wouldn't know if there's like an issue or something unless something is different in their behavior, which we could pick up on with SI. Um, but for ourselves, it can make it harder too. Um, I personally was trying to figure out, okay, how do I like have compassion for myself as an FE user? Because I think FI users are very good at that. And I figured out that if I talk to myself as if I'm a different person, I can have a lot of self-compassion, um, just like speaking it out loud, which I don't think an FI user would need to do to see themselves as like a worthy human being. But with FE, it, like it has to be told to be real. I super relate to a lot of what you said, Jamie, and also what Rob was saying about needing to it's almost like I need to externalize my emotions to sort through them. Like I have to talk things out. Um, and I think like, so my go-to person to talk to is like um, my mom and she's an ENFP. And so I don't think she feels the same need to like express everything and put it all out there. And I think sometimes it confuses her that I'm so like, and I'm like, no, I'm just, I literally just have to like talk it out. Um, even if like, sometimes if I just send like, a voice note to a friend or something like <laughs> if I'm like talking or saying things out loud, um, it's a lot easier to process my feelings. Um, I feel like I was going to say something else about the self-compassion. I feel like that's really hard for me too. And I've done a similar kind of mental experiment where I have, I imagine myself as a, a therapist sitting down with another person who is me. <laughs> Um, and we'll talk to myself as if I'm my own therapist. Um, but I have to do that. I can't just like, I don't know. I don't think I process my emotions the same way that FI users do. Yeah, I, I'm relating to what you're saying, Natalie, too. Um, Cause I, I have to talk it out. Sometimes I feel like my initial reaction to most things is just kind of numb calmness because I don't know what to think yet, what to feel yet until I talk it out. Um, so I may seem like I'm a slow burner kind of person where like it takes me a while to realize I'm actually angry. <laughs> and then, and then you know, it takes me a while to, to calm back down again. Um, and I And I don't forget, you know, like I can hold on to those things and replay them but and then I think what's hard for me in the the self-compassion thing is that when I have to talk out what I'm thinking and feeling um, especially if it's anger um, or a, a negative emotion then I feel kind of guilty or I don't know like I, I feel like I'm I can be more easily misunderstood. Like other people will think I'm more angry than I really am just because I'm talking about it so much, but I'm really not like, so that, 
that can be hard. I, I, I think like, I think people get the wrong impression of me sometimes just cause I'm talking so much about it. <laughs> I think, I think what FE honestly looks for is some TI when it's expressing, like it wants to know that what we're feeling makes sense. So we express it and we want that like affirmation from other people. Um, but I totally get the worry too of like, well, this thing upset me, but it's not like completely debilitating me, even if that's what it sounds like right now. I just want to know that it's okay that I feel this way, which an FI user, I think would be like, duh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> like that's normal. But for FE, it's like, you have to be told like, it's, I don't know. We have some kind of weird idea that we have to be at this certain level all the time because we know other people like count on us for some emotional stability, I guess, in some way. So it's like us having a hard moment just feels so guilt ridden, like it's not okay, but it is because we're human. So it takes that kind of collective environment. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't cut you off, did I, Jamie? Okay. Um, yeah, I relate to multiple points that just came up like super hard. Um, so I guess about, I definitely agree with like kind of needing the affirmation from someone else um just like that it's okay to feel like x way about this thing um i think sometimes honestly like i kind of maybe start to feel a certain way and then like not until i get the validation kind of from someone else do i fully allow myself to feel it's like oh it's okay to feel that way and also about like um just like trying not i guess on the subject of kind of like talking about to people and like offloading sometimes I feel like bad for doing it or it's like, I feel like, Oh, like I don't want to be a downer or like, I don't want them to think I'm like super negative. But then like, I, I was telling this to one of my friends who was an ENFP and she was like, well, it's how you feel. And I was like, you got, you got me there. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird way to navigate, but I really relate to everything y'all said. <laughs> ENFPs are super great at being like, what's actually true to your experience right now? Like, feel it, whatever it is. I appreciate them for that a lot. Yeah, hard agree. <laughs> like, sometimes you definitely need the TI, but other times you really need some FI. Kind of just, like, give you a little kick. Or to give yourself the kick to allow yourself to just, like, I don't know, hibernate or something. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good point, though, because when I think about FE seeking TI, it's like, okay, I want to make sure this makes sense that I feel this way. But when you talk to an FI user, it's like, it doesn't matter if it makes sense. You feel it regardless. So it's a good point that maybe one function could help you more in different situations. Hmm, I like that. Yeah, definitely. I love that. FE users need to sort out their emotions out loud or else it's kind of hard to see them as real. <laughs> like it's hard to make sense of them unless you like say it out loud. <laughs> I agree. And and so on to TI as the third function of the ISFJ. Could y'all explain your experience with that? I'll talk about TI a little bit. Um, I feel like I have a very love-hate relationship with my TI. <laughs> like especially when it comes to having like strong logical opinions about things, because I will have these opinions, but I don't share them with a lot of people um, because I don't like to create a certain 
you know, like a tense atmosphere. I don't like to be controversial. I don't like to rock the boat. Um, and so I think in situations where I don't agree with the majority, I will just stay silent. Um, but then if I have like somebody really close to me who I trust, I can just be like, let it all loose and be like very harsh and critical sometimes, <laughs> um, which I generally try not to be because I feel like FE, a lot of FE is about like making space for other people and sort of hearing everybody out. Um, but with TI, it's like, no, this is what I think and this is what I believe. And um, I think that can be hard sometimes to balance that tension um, between like what I think internally and what um, what I feel like is best for the group at that time, if that makes sense. I think for me, it's helped a lot in my work because of critical thinking required in the computer science field. Um, so having that, that critical thinking, that logic, and maybe it's actually one of the reasons I gravitated towards that as a career, um, that, that does come to mind. For me, um, what I see my TI doing mostly is pointing out like inconsistencies in others and not necessarily expressing that. <laughs> because like Natalie said, you don't want to like ruin the mood, like you'll note it, but is it really that important? Like what if this screws up the, the dynamic that's currently moving? But I don't know. It's kind of like when a person tells you they have an addiction and they are trying to get over it for good reason but then make excuses as to why they shouldn't have to like something like that, where it's like, man, like I want to help you out here and point out these like flaws in a sense, but it doesn't feel right to do that. Cause it's like, you want them to feel safe with you. So that's, that's that constant, like, Ooh, TIFE, what's more appropriate right here? What do they need from me? Like my honest logic or like the care and compassion. That's, that's interesting. I, I had a friend who, um, she, I forget what exactly she was asking my advice about, but she said, I came to you because I know you'll tell me the truth. You know, then I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm just going to tell her what I think. And um, so I can do that with my really good friends, but I hear you. Like I, I do have to temper it because um, I've gotten myself into trouble it before where I've just blurted out what I thought and uh, it didn't go well. <laughs> Maybe in those situations, it's like you can choose to soften the blow or not. It's like Effie gives you that power in a sense of like, you can come at this person and tell them what you're seeing, right? You can see the pattern with like SI and TI, but the way that you come at people needs to be from a kind space. And if you're just skipping over at B and just being like, that's it, they might take a little hard. But sometimes they need that too. <laughs> I don't know, it depends on the situation. There was an interesting example of FE in one of Nat's tweets. You talked about how um, you're with your, uh, okay. <laughs> my SI is really bad. So I'm going to try to attempt to remember this, but if I get the details wrong, don't, don't shoot me in the head. Okay. <laughs> so I think you were talking about you're at work, um, and someone emotionally reacted and then you, you wanted to show enthusiasm too, but like you changed your reaction depending on their reaction. And I thought it was like super F E, but maybe if you remember the tweet that I'm talking about, could you go into it, Nat? 
like where you had a manager or someone, a boss or something, and then they were happy. And then, and then you were trying to share your happiness, but you had a thought, a calculation in your head that I thought was super F-E-T-I. <laughs> um, I don't know if I remember tons about the tweet that you're mentioning, but I do remember making that tweet. And I think it was um, with my boss who is INTJ and does not have a whole lot of F-E. Um, at least I think this is the one you're referring to. Um, and so like he praised me for something and it made me feel really good. And I was like, oh, like if it were like, you know, my old ENFP boss, I would have been like, oh, thank you. Like, you're so great. <laughs> but I couldn't do that with him. I was just like, thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really, um, I feel like I match my FE to the level that other people express it at, if that makes sense. Um, so I try to like kind of blend into my environments and it's, I don't know if that's like FE, like a natural function of FE or if that's like my social anxiety. Um, cause I have a lot of that going on too. <laughs> you totally spark something for me though. And I have a concrete example of FE emotion. So if you think about like someone getting engaged, it sounds like a happy thing. And when they tell you like, you should be excited. But if someone comes to you and is like, I got engaged you know, it's like, then you with FE is like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's, kind of like, it's like the pregnancy thing, right? Someone tells you they're pregnant. It's like, oh, yay, happy for you. But if they come to you depressed, you're not going to be bubbly about it. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, like, how can I be here for you? How they come at you is how you meet them. You know, so like with Natalie and the INTJ, you probably know that the INTJ isn't going to react like most positively to like a big bubbly FE earthquake. So you're like meeting that need. Yeah, I think that's, that is definitely what happens. <laughs> yeah, feelers, us feelers just want to emotionally make people feel good. <laughs> and, and so any other points for TI before we move on? We're very good detectives. I think that's SITI working together. Um, like being able to notice, like even when someone's off because we see them so often and we know they're responding differently or doing different things, you know, they always go to Burger King, but today they went to McDonald's, something's wrong. <laughs> you know, like those little, those little things, I think TI actually helps SI out with. Um, I think you had mentioned this before too, JB, but like, I feel like it helps me be logically consistent. Um, like when I was in school and writing papers, I would try to make them as like logical as possible. And I've, I've always really valued like logical critical thought, um, which may have had something to do with why I tested as ISTJ the first time I took the MBTI. Um, but yeah, just that like looking for that logical consistency. I feel like I'm good with, um, languages too, like learning languages, because I can learn the sort of the rules for the system and like how it works. Um, and I've always just really enjoyed that. So going off of that, I don't know if everyone would identify with this, but I'm usually good at um, chronological logic. Like if this happens, then this happens and this happens, you know, I can place things in time like that. Um, and I think that's probably some TI too with SI probably. Do you guys um, tend to guess the ending of movies pretty early on? Like being able to figure out what's gonna happen just based on clues and 
in the story. If I've seen a similar movie, I will. I know some people who can like immediately know the end and it's something I would never guess. But if it's like a similar plot line or something, I'll be like, oh, I bet something like this will happen. Yeah, I I could see that being related to TI. Um, I don't I don't think I tend to do that a lot, or at least I don't end up being right a whole lot. But um, I was watching a movie with an ENTP friend once, and she was like, "I bet this is this and this and this are gonna happen," and um, she was right. And I was like, "I don't I don't know how you did that, but <laughs> that's cool." <laughs> if you think about like a romance novel or something like that, I think that's a good way to look at. Like if you know what the structure of the thing is, you can anticipate what will happen. I think SITI would be good at that kind of thing. But there's a lot of like independent movies that go off of like typical plot lines where I'm like, where even am I? <laughs> like um, I recently watched that, I don't think it's indie movie technically, but Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I was like, this is really cool, but I have no idea where this is going. Like it was just so different from what I'm used to that I'm just kind of along for the ride. Like I would have been very surprised if someone would have been able to tell me the ending, I guess. Fantastic points, everyone. And so on to extroverted intuition. And E, what are your experiences with any? Worst case scenarios. Same. <laughs> but the funny thing for me is like, oh my gosh since i was young like i've always been surrounded by intuitives and always been surrounded by dominant and e people so that was such an interesting thing that turned out for me because being already like so exposed to ne in such a strong way especially being all my close friends with that strong ne actually made me love ne a lot and i actually like being surprised i like all the thought process the like going from like zero to like infinity to beyond and I've always grows, grew so fascinated with that, with that kind of concept and idea. So I feel like my exposure to any at such a young age growing up, like I've, I've grown an appreciation for it. But that is very limited to if I'm surrounded by dominant NE people. If I'm by myself, just like Jamie said, um, I predict the worst, I assume the worst, I, I think extremely negative. Um, but I feel like that kind of changes if I'm surrounded by dominant ME people, because there's always like, no, what if this? You never know this, maybe this, you don't know, I don't know, none of us knows. And it's like, yeah, you're totally right. Like, what do I know? <laughs> and I, I like playing around with like the idea of that. So yeah, that, those have been my experiences with any. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so for me, I, I kind of feel in the same boat where I've been surrounded by people um, with with strong NE. And, and what I say that is um, I'm the person that's a connector. I connect a lot of people with ideas. Um, I like to brainstorm with people as to new, new theories and conceiving things, building things, being innovative. Um, that was my career. And so I can really relate to that. And so, um, you know, maybe it's just different for me. I don't know. I think I tend to like enjoy ideas and I like being around brainstorming. I usually don't have, I don't know. I, 
a ton to add. Like if it's me versus an any dom, like there's no way <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> be able to compete with that. But um, a way that I kind of see inferior any manifesting in me is how I sometimes like shoot down potentials with logic, which is supposedly a thing that we do. And a good example is like, okay, I don't know, I don't know what I want to do for my career ultimately. So people will bring options up and I'll be like, well, that wouldn't work for me because I'm an introvert. Well, that wouldn't work for me because of this and that and that. Like, and I think that could be very exhausting to somebody unless they had high any and were just like tossing me paper, you know, <laughs> the entire time. Like, then it's kind of a challenge. Like, I will find the one thing that will make sense to you. But otherwise, I could see that coming off to people as very uh, kind of stuck in a box. I think that's what a lot of ISJs um, get told when it comes to um, negative traits, I guess. I really relate to the kind of like shooting down ideas before they even really get going at all. Um, like I get really annoyed when I notice how much I do this. Like, cause if I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, just different options or something, like a new idea, like if I think of it, then I'll be like, eh, no, probably not because this is this. Or like, eh, no, maybe that would work if this is this. But then, especially if it's like, I was trying to figure something out with like more than one person, then like someone will say something I thought of <laughs> and it's received well. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know why I didn't say it. I guess that was pretty stupid. <laughs> I just like, yeah, it's very like shutting, it's like stopping the development of an idea before it could really blossom at all. And I don't know, I don't really know why we have to do that. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like I can super relate to everything that um, you both have just said. Like, I, I do tend to do this. Like, I notice times, especially with my um, my mom, who's an ENFP, she'll give me suggestions and I'll realize that I'm just like, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm shooting down everything before it even has a chance to like, and then I'll think about it for a while. And then I'll be like, actually, this was a good idea. Um, and I feel like maybe that's because like when i'm introduced to a new idea i feel this like discomfort in my body it's like it just doesn't and then it sort of my mind just sort of backs it up with logic um and sometimes i think there are there's like a time and a place for that like i think isfjs can be really good at seeing potential problems with new ideas and like maybe um turning that in a direction to where we can work towards solutions um, but I definitely have that tendency to like shoot things down <laughs> before they've even started. That's true. So we talked about the worst case scenario aspect of, of NE, and we talked about how the SI and TI will kind of filter out ideas that won't work. I'm wondering if there's a positive aspect to inferior NE too. Young says when we develop and grow, we start to grow our lower functions too. And so they can start to maybe manifest in healthier ways as we age. This can take place in the form of like traveling or like being open to new experiences, novel experiences and enjoying them. And in, in, and so Rob really likes travel, for instance. Yeah, yeah, I was relating to as you were talking there, I was thinking about travel. Um, so I think a good example, uh, I. I, um, three years ago, I did a tour of Taiwan, 
uh, Thailand, Laos, and Vietnam. So it was a long backpacking tour. Um, and so the first thing I did was started planning six months ahead. So I think I overcompensate for this area by planning, planning, planning. I had a daily itinerary. I had the largest backpack they sold. I had the best emergency medical kit. I could probably perform trauma surgery in the field if I needed to. So, um, yeah. And then, um, I, I just made sure that I had everything that I needed. Um, and I did. Um, so if it was raining that day, I had rain gear. Uh, if it was hot that day, I had, you know, suntan lotion, and everything else I needed. So, um, that, that's how I view this. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, in my twenties, I was a big traveler as well. I, I lived in, um, Russia and Poland for a year each and, uh, just, to prepare for that, I even took Russian before I left for like, I knew two years in advance I was going. So I took, you know, I took a Russian politics class. I didn't, whatever, but yeah, I, I totally what I did. Um, and I'm, I'm repeating that now as my kids are going off, like I do all the research, I make sure I know everything that's going on. I still try to leave things for them to do because I want them to learn how to do these things like i can't do everything for them and that's hard that's hard as a mom and as an isfj my my j is really off the charts um is that i'm you know i'm always the one in the house that knows how everything works where everything is you know i do all the finances like i'm i'm the one that knows how to work the drill you know i <laughs> all the tools that's me you know so yeah, preparation, research, um, and then just being open um, to the adventure at that point. <laughs> so. I had a different point about um, how inferior NA can be positive. So no matter what type you are, the fourth function is the gateway to the unconscious. And I think because of that, when the right idea hits you. It can be like earth shattering in a way. And usually it's someone else coming up with something that just floors you. And because of that, I think ISJs in particular can have a sense of wonder, like quite readily when they live their lives, because we're not a type that can really see far ahead. So it's like, all we can do is look back. So if a new thing comes in, it really does just like feel like euphoria sometimes. And I think that's quite special because for some people who like maybe EPs generally, they're very good at seeking the new thing always and just get excited about that. But for us, when that new thing hits, it's like, it really hits us. Like it changes our whole perspective, but hit, if it hits right. And that's something I do appreciate. That's beautiful. And to circle back to the preparation point that Rob and Julie were talking about. So Rob, he bought, I think, a mic and a stand and a popper for, for this video to prepare for this. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually wanted to do podcasting myself. This is actually the only the second time in my life I've done a podcast uh, or participated in one. So I found it interesting. So, yeah, I, I bought myself everything and I want to start my own podcast. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great adventure and it's a great way to meet people. 
That's a magnificent idea. And yeah, so SJ, especially plus the wing six or just six in general, equals intense planning, like just <laughs> intense, <laughs> intense planning. My next question for you all is, what are some famous ISFJs you know in fiction or in real life? I think for me, I relate to Brian May. He's a, a musician, a guitarist for Queen. Um, so that's kind of old school, but um, he's also known as a trained, a PhD trained astrophysicist. So he's uh, an expert in multiple fields. And one of the quotes I like from him that I remember was, I stand away based on compassion, respect for life and common sense. And I think that represents who we are as ISFJs. We're looking out for others. We're the defenders. I'm a big fan of Mr. Rogers. That's pretty obvious. I mean, he cares for people in practical ways and generally seems very epi. But in terms of fictional characters, I think Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas is a good example because you see her like feeding this intuitive <laughs> who like spends all of his time like researching and stuff. And she's just always there trying to help people with practical needs. And people know that they can count on her to show up. And I think if you have an ISFJ in your life, that kind of subtle reassurance is always there. Um, the only ISFJ that I really knew of before this was uh, Mother Teresa. Um, and I just connect with her. Again, she seems like pretty no-nonsense, practical um, helper. <laughs> Yeah. I like that too because I think INFJs are also helpers, but not in a practical sense. It's like in a let me help your core nature. <laughs> but ISFJs are like, let me help you with the day-to-day -day stuff, you know, that will ultimately affect that core nature, but that's not where the target is. It's like right now you need a sandwich. <laughs> Let's get you a sandwich, you know, like it's these little moments. Um, and a, a fictional example of an ISFJ that I always think of um, is Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Um, he's like Frodo's companion throughout the whole journey and helps him a lot in various ways. And there's that um, quote where he's like, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you or something, <laughs> um, which is, I feel like very ISFJ to just be like the best supporting character of all time. <laughs> Oh, also um, Neville Longbottom from Harry Potter. I feel like he's often typed as ISFJ and I, I can kind of see it. Um, I could see maybe arguments for ISTJ also, but yeah, I like him too. Cool. And so ISFJs, what do you provide in relationships? For me, I, I kind of live by the mantra, it's better to give than receive. Um, we're, we're the defenders, uh, we're there to help people. Um, as I shared earlier, I volunteer a lot and a lot of new friends that I make out there are because of my volunteer work. Um, so I think that's just how we function, we're givers. Yeah, I noticed that theme with a lot of your answers, Rob. You're like, I wanna make a podcast to meet new friends. I wanna go volunteer for friends. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Rob really likes connection with other people. I feel like that interdependence with other people is like an element of FE or feelers. 
yeah so that's really amazing yeah i think we're um loyal and um like you said defenders and i tend to defend my friends when i hear other people saying things you know or i try to explain their actions like you know like be a little easy on them i think they're this way because of x y and z and um i i tend to be the one my friends call me um julie mccoy from the love boat she was like the cruise director who who organized things and you know said and we can be spontaneous. I'll often be like at 12 o'clock, you know, I'll say who wants to go out tonight, you know, for dinner or whatever. Um, so that social uh, connector. Yeah, that's interesting. Julie, you use the word loyal. And, and that's why a lot of ISFJs type out as type six on the Enneagram because yeah. the type six is called the loyalist. And so you can see the correlation there. To totally. When I when I figured out that I was in Ram six, um, that actually made me start to question the INFJ because I read that they're mostly ISFJs, and I have a good friend who is an ISFJ, and she typed a six immediately. And I guess I just fought against being a six because I thought they sounded. You know, I didn't like the idea of being fearful. That that was my core thing was that I'm afraid all the time. Because I don't feel like I'm afraid all the time, um, so so I fought against that. But uh, yeah, the the loyalty and everything. I said, you know what? I, I better look back at this because I connected so much to the the six and the ISFJ together. Yeah, yeah. Jane, Julie, and Nat are all sixes, and Roger's nine. Rob's a seven and Jamie's a two. And so I feel like that's a good palette of the common types for ISFJ mm -hmm. in the Enneagram. And so ISFJs, what do you provide in relationships if you have anything more to add to that? On the note of loyalty, um, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I think I provide like, it's just kind of someone who's like, will consistently be there for you. Um, especially for like uh, giving support particularly I think I'm really good at providing like a listening ear um like if someone just needs to vent then definitely got that <laughs> or like if someone wants advice like I could definitely do that too it's very like tuned to what they need and I think I'm good at like making making people comfortable knowing that they can confide in me and also along those lines, like I've been told a lot in my life that I have a very like comforting, calming energy. <laughs> so I think they all connect a lot. I would echo that too. I know um, usually SI is connected to this idea that we have an internal filing system. And I think I do function as a repository for information about specific people. And so the way that I show up is to meet their need in some way, right? Or like I was kind of talking about earlier, like if you know someone likes a particular thing, like when I see it, I'll send it to them, you know? Like, oh, you'll like this meme because I know your kind of humor now. Like I've tracked that. Or, oh, you like this food, I know it. Like I'm gonna give it to you because I want you to like have a good day or whatever. 
but I, I guess I haven't really talked much about my Enneagram, but for me as a two, like I want to help, I want to give, but the thought or the complex, I think, is you give and you help in order to be worthy of love. So I think if you're FE in general, that might be something you struggle with too, because you want to like meet the need in whatever way there is. And if it's not like, um, if it's proven that your help does not actually, is not actually appreciated, you feel pretty worthless. <laughs> um, which is, is terrifying. Like the, that sucks because you want to be able to form those connections. You know, that's something that I think we're pretty natural at doing because we're usually kind of subtle and friendly and we don't tend to rock the boat a lot. So when that appreciation isn't there, it does feel kind of like lonely, I guess. But we do care about it. Like we care about the bonds we end up making. Yeah, I mean, ditto to like everybody, what everybody said. Um, I feel like we just offer that commitment, that consistency, um, always there for, for friends, for partners. Um, yeah, we just offer all of that. But it, it's an interesting thing too, because this is something that I've heard a lot of people question about us is that if we're so nice and we're so kind and we always listen, we always try to do our all to our friends, how is anybody supposed to know if we actually have, if we actually like somebody or if we think of them as something more? Um, and that, that was something that I was, I guess, curious how everybody else dealt with that too, because I know that there is some confusion, like, yeah, I give it all my all to my friends and family. Like, they're so important. I always listen to them. I'm always there for them. But then maybe another person who's new and knows that about us might get confused. Like, oh, is this something more? Does this mean something more? Or I'm, I'm curious what everybody else thinks about that as well. I've actually had FI users tell me, like, how do you know if you, like, specifically like certain people more than others? And they almost have a worry, like, am I actually important to you? You know, but I'm like, I think what we do is almost FE them more, <laughs> right? Like, we don't have the same access to FI. So I think that's a great question. Like, I know when I typically um, care more about people because I give them all my time. Like I, I really try to like show up for them in every possible way. And so when it comes my way from another person, like time is love to me. Um, so if I really care about someone and they really care about me, like that's how I can track it. And it confuses me when a person does not have the same belief, I guess. That's how I track my bonds. I don't know if other people agree or not, but yeah. I think um, over time I've learned that um, if I have to make an effort too much um, if it's just harder to be in somebody's presence then I just know it's not a good fit um, just my really good friends I feel like I can be quiet or I can be loud I mean I, I'm, I can just really be myself around them and I'm not worried about how that's coming across like oh i'm being too quiet or oh i'm being too obnoxious you know I, I really don't i'm completely comfortable with them um but there are other people like i can like them or i can be intimidated by them or i can be impressed by them but if i still don't have that level of comfort i know like i i think i like you as a person but we're just not gonna 
mesh as really good friends. And that's okay. Like I've just learned over time, like I don't have to be best friends with everybody and I'm okay with that. Um, it was a lot different when I was younger, especially as a teenager, you know, but now I'm like, it's okay. I, I, it's okay. <laughs> I'm curious if you identify with this because you're just giving me this thought. If I like somebody and want to like build our bond, you know, our friendship or whatever, I find myself wanting to reciprocate their energy and then it goes back and forth. And when it feels like uh, a chore, that's when I'm like, okay, I'm just keeping up some kind of front with them. Like I'm just trying to be polite. But if I'm like engaged and really trying to make sure like I'm there, like I, I know that they're important to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think if you realize it's not an effort, yeah, um, then it's good. It's comfortable. Yeah. So I feel like you're talking friends, not dating, right? <laughs> either, I mean, either way, like, I can take it in a romantic sense is that if you see, you love pouring this energy into this specific person. Like yeah. your choices kind of dictate how you feel, regardless of its friendship or more. Mm. I think I can definitely relate to like the people that are my really close friends are people that I feel like I can be myself around and that I'm comfortable around. Um, I feel like if you, if I can be honest around you like if you get my raw unfiltered opinions about stuff that I don't tell other people like that's probably a pretty good indicator um and also like I haven't had this happen a lot but if I can be honest about something you're doing that bothers me or hurts my feelings or something like that means I'm more invested in the relationship and um I know that you're not going to react badly to it um but yeah, other than that, just like being a listening ear for people, I feel like is a really big strength for me. Um, I've also been told that I have a very like calm, soothing presence and just like caring for people in practical ways, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot of like seeing a need and filling it. Like I work with high schoolers right now. And like, if I notice a student doesn't have a piece of paper and they need one, like I'm on it like that. Like, it's just those little things where it's like, uh, if I know you need something and I can fulfill that, I'm gonna do it, you know, to make sure you're taken care of. I think that's where like the protective aspect comes in of ISFJs where it's like, I want you on your best road. <laughs> like, let me help you do that. Yeah, that's great. I feel like in that way too. And, um... I also feel like I get protective of my really close friends. Like if somebody is making them upset or messing with them, I get really, really angry. <laughs> and I probably won't like confront that person. I guess if I had to, I would, but I'm not very confrontational, but I'll just like back them up in whatever, you know, way that I can. Yeah, it almost like shifts the FE. Like if you learn that one of your friends was hurt by another person that you know, you're not, you don't show up the same way to the other person because you know the background, like maybe they bullied your friend or something. So you'll still be polite, but you'll know, hey, this person is capable of hurting someone that I really care about. Yeah, for sure.
There's so much nodding in this panel. <laughs> I'm like this. I I hold a lot of panels, and I'm like this ISFJ one wins at the amount of nods given by each person. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, it's a lot of FE nods. I've heard that's just a thing though, because of FE and sensing that we're showing each other physically. Yeah, we agree. Like that's supposed to be the natural process. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I can't stop seeing it now. Now that I'm aware, I'm doing it. I'm just like, oh. Yeah, like a wave or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, personality hacker says that nodding is like what feelers tend to do. So if you see someone encouraging someone um, as they're talking, it tends to be a feeler thing because they're trying to emotionally encourage you to to show to that you're okay, what you're saying is okay, <laughs> and that you're yeah. validated. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, feelers unite. Yeah. <laughs> And so what is everyone's biggest pet peeves? So I've worked in customer service for a, a while. Um, and at the library where I used to work, uh, this guy came in one day and he was just complaining about everything and just seemed to think that he knew everything and was being very arrogant. And I feel like that's one of my biggest pet peeves is like when people are just rude for no reason. And I usually even try to hear them out like, I'll be like, okay, like I see what you're saying, you know, on a logical level, but I also just, I hate that when people just act really arrogant and act like they know everything and um, are just being completely rude while they're doing it. Like, um, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, I'm very similar when people interrupt me. So I, I, I'm bothered by that, but I think it's because we like to think things through and that's that shows from our SI dominance. I caught the tail end of yours, Natalie, but I think I would say arrogance feeds into my biggest pet peeve, which is when someone is self-aggrandizing, like thinks that they're just the biggest, amazing, godlike person in life. Because I tend to think of everybody on the same level, regardless of their position. So to imagine that they're just naturally better than people Super bothers me. <laughs> um, I also agree with that. Also, the way that you worded it, Jamie, it's very like alpha vibes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have that communal ideal, I think, where it's like everyone, there isn't, okay, there's hierarchies, okay, in life, but when it comes to being a human being in this world, we are all human. We all have flaws. Like, it doesn't necessarily matter what degree you have. Like, you have the same amount of worth as someone who never went to college. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? Like, we all have, I don't know, we're just across the board. So, value people. Going on what you're saying about alpha, uh, uh, this is related to that, but when people make assumptions um, without really knowing me or the person or something um, that annoys me um, to be completely misunderstood. I mean, that's that's bigger than a pet peeve to me. That's like, you know, that gets me at my core uh, um, to be misunderstood and then not have a chance to explain or um, or like you said, being interrupted and then. And then it's like everyone's forgotten that you were in the middle of saying something and they don't come back to you to, to let you finish your 
thought, your story, and you're just sitting there like, okay, like I'm gonna disappear into the background now, you know, um, to, to not feel seen, you know. I think um, this actually applies to what you're saying. Jane's talking about alpha is, it's actually like a, having quadra values within socionics and the idea that everyone's ideas carry equal weight regardless of who you are. Um, so that idea of people kind of cutting you off, that would not be something that alphas would like. Like we'd wanna know what you thought. Um, it doesn't matter what your background is. The, the thing we chase is the thought itself. That's so beautiful. Everyone needs an ISFJ in their life. That that is declared after this panel. <laughs> and so Jane and Nat mentioned about how they have a soothing, calm demeanor. And so I was wondering, what do your friends describe you as, ISFJs? I would say thoughtful and conscientious. Um, we're, and as others have said previously, we're devoted, we're loyal uh, to our friends. Um, but I think on the flip side of that is it, it takes a while for us to warm up for friends. Um, we have to have a good understanding of them and um, gain trust. Um, but once they have that trust, uh, we're very devoted uh, to uh, their needs. I tend to get passive, caring, deep quite a lot. Um, along with chill, and my mom thinks I'm like a flower. <laughs> I guess when those traits kind of sum it up, you know, just kind of, yeah, here, you know, for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> Subtle. Um, I think my my friends would say creative even though I, I I always have an issue with the word creative um, and uh, dependable um, fun funny um, yeah prepared researched I'm I'm the one who knows how to figure out how to do things. <laughs> yeah. Um, hopping off the, I guess, both the ideas of like taking a little longer to get to know people or being comfortable with them and being funny. <laughs> I've been told that like I, like I am funny, but I'm actually way more silly than you would expect once you get to know me. <laughs> And it's true. I mean, sometimes like when it's yourself, you like forget that. <laughs> but yeah, cause like when I was preparing for this question, I like, I was like, hmm, I wonder, I actually like asked my friends <laughs> like how they would describe me. <laughs> um, yeah. And like more than one person said like actually really silly and goofy, like when you get to know her. And yeah, I mean, overall, there's a lot to us that you don't really see at first, definitely. So yeah, I just think it's like really pertinent. I like that, I like that. I think I tend to have stranger danger. 
until I warm up to somebody. Because <laughs> I don't know how to approach them in a way that uh, is comfortable for us both yet. I think that's what it is. Yeah. So I just want to echo that Jane's point about how she's very silly and like fun to be around. Actually, when I met Rob, I was like, his profile pic is love this very composed and like and very like professional guy. And I was like, I'm not sure if he's gonna be like super serious when I meet him and stuff. But like when when Rob warms up to you, like he's super silly and like fun and like he brings a really nice mood. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds like what Jane just described. And <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, I definitely feel like I'm also a lot more like silly and funny than people would initially expect. Um, I've had friends describe me as witty, which like always surprises me. <laughs> um, yeah, also like deep, um, introspective, calm. Um, I don't know. I, I want to ask my friends now, like how they would describe me, because I don't know what else. But I feel like, yeah, definitely those things. She's very smart. <laughs> She's very sweet. Hey, who are you? <laughs> uh, mutual love. <laughs> and Roger. Um. Yeah. I'm trying to think about it, but I think just supportive, right? Uh, Loyal, supportive. Um, I think that's how they would describe me. I I can also relate to the silliness as well. Like uh, first impression, um, I might be very like professional and serious, but once getting to know me, then I can be pretty darn silly too and crack a lot of jokes. So yeah, I can I can definitely relate to that too. Um, kind of going off of that, I feel like that was one of the reasons that I. Um, mistyped when I first was learning about socionics um, because the the gamma quadra of types, which is the types that all have um, TE and FI and SE and NI um, in socionics are described as very serious. And I always thought of myself as like a serious person because that's how I come off to other people. But I feel like deep down, I, I don't have any seriousness to me. <laughs> or like I do, but it's um, I feel like I'm always like laughing about something in my head. That that was the description of ISFJ that I, I read about just last night that resonated with me is that we tend to see the absurd or funny things pretty much all the time and that we might just be laughing to ourselves early. And, and I, I related to that so much because I'm constantly just thinking funny thoughts in my head and and I you might see me kind of laugh to myself or whatever but you know I don't I, I'm I'm not like a practical joker I'm not like a really out there extroverted funny person but I think if you're my friend yeah you might say witty or I always know the right gift for me to send or <laughs> whatever you know good with one liner so I was a kid in the back of class who like, like said a joke under her breath to the person next kind of person, you know, not the class clown, but, but very understated. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it bears worth repeating the understated quality of our humor. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I, I also I definitely identify with like, I'm very into like meme culture. 
and stuff like that. And I mean, even like in my office, I was referred to once as like the meme queen. And I'm like, wow, who would have thought an ISFJ? <laughs> and oh, also on the note of like kind of always laughing to yourself about something, like just a little secret, like on one way, I see it definitely, like you said, it's kind of like just noting the absurdities of a situation. But also I feel like the SI, like a lot of times, like the randomest thing will remind me of some like weird, funny moment or some like, I don't like I said, some weird meme or something so stupid. And I'm just sitting there like just smirking. And I hope no one notices because like, how would I explain that? I, I assume you guys relate to. Yeah, the connections are rapid fire. If you have any past association, your brain can get there so quick. I can definitely relate to that. Um, and kind of going along with that, my INTP brother and I have this thing where like, if we're all sitting down at a family dinner and nobody is talking and it's like serious for a little bit too long, we will look at each other and just start laughing so hard. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but it's like something about certain moments is funny too. Um, and like I definitely also relate to that, like just thinking of things and then laughing randomly, like in the most inappropriate situations. <laughs> oh, I like that you brought that up because I think part of our humor is connected to the social expectation of a time, like noticing that pause. Like I was thinking about how sometimes I do do pranks on people, but I know they're going to take it well. I, um, I worked at this early childhood center where we used to have iPads. So we would like catalog all the things with kids on that. And I used to take people's iPads and take random pictures of weird stuff and leave it as the screensaver. So when somebody <laughs> turned on their iPad, it'd be like a random banana or something. And that was the kind of funny stuff that I was just so proud of. Like I somehow managed to steal this iPad, to <laughs> take it into another room. And then, I don't know, that was my joy. Just the little weird stuff. My brother's girlfriend is an ISFJ. And one time she took my phone and took a bunch of like, ridiculous selfies of herself and I found them on my phone and I was like, this is awesome. I'm guilty of that <laughs> Anyway, that was all. That happened to me before too. And now I'm wondering if that guy is an I like an SJ who did that. Because I'm wondering if it, I'm wondering if it, if it's like SJ humor, but maybe maybe not. It was <laughs> it might be. I mean like I was saying about you learn the expectation and then you go against it in like a, a subtle way. Like one birthday I had my grandma who was probably an ISTJ, she wrapped up a wooden spoon and gave it to me. And then she just started laughing hysterically when I opened it. And I'm like, why did you give me this? And she was just like, I thought it'd be funny. I was like six. <laughs> like, why would you give me a wooden spoon? But if I had done that to someone else, I would have thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Just because it's so off, like, doesn't make any sense. That's what makes it funny. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> and so what comes easily to you that comes a little harder to other people? Just getting stuff done that needs done. Uh, if there's, I think about me in school where teachers would be like, hey, like this is your assignment. I just do it. I didn't sit there and complain. I just got it done. Like. I, it's hard for me to conceptualize why people wouldn't just like follow what they need to, I think. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And I, and I think, I think, um, I think sometimes my friends might also make comments like, I can't believe you, you know, did this and this and this and this, and you were able to get all this done. And where do you find the time for all this? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just do, I just do it. <laughs> I just, I've got my list yeah. and I cross things off, you know, and that gives me great closure. It gives me great pleasure. It's very satisfying. So I like to, It's that incremental progress, I think, mm -hmm. with SI, where we know that if we take these steps, ultimately there's going to be a conclusion that's positive, like you get the job done. So this is uh, this is Rob. I, I think for me, um, it goes beyond just getting things done. What I find in my, my life is I have so many different things I want to do. Um, I, I think I have this endless list. <laughs> Um, and then it becomes a question of how do you prioritize all that? How do you squeeze all this in? Um, and, and what are things that you, you have to just leave off? Um, so that's, that's one of the things I face. I don't know if anyone else faces that. I relate to that, Rob. I'm the exact same way when it comes to that. I feel like there's always so many things to do. You finish something, but then something else to, to focus and do. Oh, that relates so much to that. And then it becomes an issue of what to prioritize, what to do at the moment or just in general. So yeah, totally relate to you. I think that's actually a strong skill set of TE, determining what is most important or the most effective way to tick through the list. Yeah. Uh, which I struggle with too. I do what seems to be right to me, but it's not necessarily the best way. Yep. I can totally relate to that too, like having an endless list and feeling like um, I have to get all of it done or I have to do everything on my list. Um, and it's funny because my therapist is actually an ENTJ, so very strong TE, and she gave me this strategy where I write like, I make a to-do list, but it's not just like everything I need to do. It's like I organize it into like, I have to do this today. Um, and then there's another category for should do and then things that I could do, um, but don't have to do. And I feel like that's just helped me like organize my priorities so much, like, cause I'm not naturally that great at prioritizing. Um, but when I see it written out like that, it makes a lot of sense. Oh, I love that term too, prioritizing. I think F-I-T-E, it just seems like they have it so much easier in that way. Because if it's not like the most effective method, it's the thing they most care about with the F-I. We have neither of that. <laughs> like, how do we prioritize then? Yeah, I feel like mine is like stuff that I have to do or else other people will be mad at me. And then stuff that I want to do for fun. <laughs> to like, yeah. And then there's, you know, all these other little things kind of in between that. So, well, it's like when someone else is counting on you to get something done, I think that pushes Effie to be like, okay, this has to get done because Natalie and I want to go get a Frappuccino <laughs> and she needs me to fix this so we can get there, you know? Yeah. 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 So I wanted to say goodbye to the group. I have to go drive to San Jose to see my daughter. So, um, but it's been great. Thank you. Yeah. Wait, uh, before you go really quick. Yeah. Um, so 
Can I take a one second video just of us? Cause I'm doing a one second every day compilation. <laughs> like I did one for 2019 and I'm doing it again for 2020. <laughs> I know it's super SI. <laughs> so I don't know if everyone just wanted to like wave for a few seconds and I'll just take it on my phone. Hmm. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming out. I really, really appreciated you. Um, I, I love all your stories about backpacking and about your daughters. Like it's it's amazing how much you care about your family and just the enthusiasm and kindness and warmth you bring to your life and the giving nature you give really enriches people. Thank so you. thank you for that. And yeah, That's awesome. thank you. Bye. I'll see you around. Bye everyone, Rob. nice meeting you. Bye. <laughs> Excellent chat, ISFJs. And so what takeaways and what advice would you give to other ISFJs or to your younger self? Um, I feel like probably the most important thing, because this is something that I struggle with myself, was just um, being super stuck in my ways, like not being open-minded, not being accepting, being even almost kind of judgmental. Um, I was very focused on doing things a certain way, very focused on perceiving people a certain way. Um, I feel like just for ISFJs and even just for myself in general, I feel like being open-minded, being more accepting, um, being more understanding to other viewpoints, other people, other types of people um, is extremely important. And I see it also on like ISFJ groups on Facebook, like they become very judgmental or they're very hesitant or um, even reactive when somebody else comes with a different opposing view they react very defensively it's like no i can't handle that like i can only understand what i know and if you present some other new idea that i can't understand then i'm going to react a certain way so i feel like that's something that is important to address and important to acknowledge um, but yeah that's i think the first thing that came up to my mind at least I think what attracted me to typology initially was trying to understand what my nature was and what I was naturally, um, I guess you could say gifted in or strong in because I had been in situations where I think my functions weren't privileged as ideal. Um, I spent a lot of time in like academia where I think having an intuitive bent is actually much easier <laughs> to go through like researching and understanding these broad-based um, things. and spend time in type and to be like, well, actually a very strong um, piece of SIFE is relating to other people, I think, and how important that is and isn't often um, praised, I think. It's just expected. And so I think if you're an ISFJ, you have to kind of realize how important that is just as a human, the ability to like relate to other people and show up and have loyalty and all of these things that kind of show interrelational dynamics that you don't think about, but your life would be so different if you didn't have that, let's say. Yeah, I think too, um, in the US anyway, extroversion seems to be the preferred uh, temperament. And so I, I would have, said to myself you know it's it's good to grow and get out of yourself but also don't blame yourself if 
that it's not natural for you. Um, I, I think I judged myself too much when I was younger for being introverted. And I, I didn't really understand that it's not, it's not a, um, a fault, a negative thing. It's just your way of being and, and it's okay to be like that. Um, and you don't always have to be the upfront person, the out there, the, you know, the one in the center of attention, um, that it's perfectly okay to be the person in the background giving support and, you know. Preach. <laughs> I feel like um, maybe this goes along with type six too. I have a lot of trouble like trusting myself and my instincts. Um, and I feel like I tend to rely on other people or other people's judgment a lot more than my own. So I would just like tell myself to trust myself more um, and also to not be afraid to like get out of my comfort zone and try new things. Like I almost feel like I had kind of the opposite journey of you, Julie, where like I was very, very introverted um, when I was younger and I've gotten a little more extroverted as I've gotten older. Um, but as a kid, I was very lonely because I didn't really, um, I was also really shy. And so I didn't make a whole lot of effort to like get out of my bubble and like talk to people and was just always worried about like, people's perceptions of me. Um, and I still struggle with that to an extent, but I feel like I've grown out of some of it. Um, so yeah, just to like trust myself and trust that like other people will like me if I am myself. Oh, I love that too. Like you say so many things, Natalie, that make me want to like jump in. Um, but I think knowing that SI and FE are both uh, like our top functions, um, it makes discernment hard, like discernment for what is right for us. And so we outsource it and it doesn't always uh, prove equitable. <laughs> like it doesn't always make sense. And that's something that I've been trying to really think about with myself. Like, how do I make sure that what I do is for me ultimately and is my opinion and is not anyone else's? I think that's a good question to ask. Yeah, I think those are all great points. Yeah, um, I hard agree with everything for sure. Also, kind of related to that, especially the six aspect, but also the inferior any. Um, I feel like something to remember is that it will all work out. Like whatever decision you make, like it'll be okay, it'll work. Um, or it kind of also like everything happens for a reason. Like I try to tell myself that and I look back and it's like, certain things in my life like maybe I didn't expect them to happen or I didn't think I would choose this over this and I was a little unsure at the time like it ended up working out fine and I also think like oh well if like if I hadn't I don't know like if I hadn't made the choice to go to like this school which maybe I was nervous at the time but like look at all that I've gained like just look at all the good that came because of that one thing which I guess is also, it's also very SI. <laughs> but yeah, basically like trusting that things will be okay. Yeah, and yeah. I love that. Jane, what you're saying about how like everything will be okay, like everything will work out. 
I think partially it's because it's like, well, it has to this point. Like we've proven that to ourselves. Like we're okay right now. And a thing that always happens to me is if I go into a big city, I always worry I won't find parking. But when I backtrack it, it's like you have parked your car every single time you went into the city. Why are you always worried about this? Like there is going to be a spot for you. But I consistently like worry about that, um, which I think is probably inferior and any being dumb. <laughs> but um, forcing yourself to be aware that you've made it this far, I think is really good advice. So I love that you brought that up. Jane. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, you can go, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, like, I've all, I've seen the same idea worded in a way that I really liked. It was, I think it was like, you've gotten through a hundred percent of all your hardest days. So like, why would yeah. you get through the rest? Yeah, I love that. That's great. I really like that. I'm going to have to remember that. <laughs> Me too. That's amazing. Yeah, inferior NE manifest in a fear of the unknown. So that was a good way that that was put. And that you've gotten through 100% of your hard days is like very inspirational. Thank you for sharing that. Any other quotes you ISFJs have that you want to share before we close off? Oh, I have one. <laughs> but this is from Tony Robbins, which gets me through. It's like when you're feeling down on yourself, you have to remember that we overestimate what we can do in one year, but underestimate what we can do in five. And I love that because it's like we do really place expectations on ourselves and where we want to be. But it's like, no, some, team, some things really take time to, you know, come to fruition. And we have to give ourselves that. Um, this one is actually my mom's favorite quote, and I think it's George Eliot, but I really like it too. Um, it's what failure of imagination caused me to forget that life is full of other possibilities. Like when something is going wrong for me and I think, oh, this isn't going to work out. It's like, there's always other possibilities. Oh, I love that. I tried to tell ENFP once that all I have in front of me are two possibilities and they're both bad. And they were like, you're insane. You have like 50 possibilities in front of you. And sometimes you just have to be told that, I think. That was very heartwarming. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, I had one more. Yeah. Um, also on the note of inferior any, um, I've seen the quote, like, if it both, terrifies and excites you then you should definitely do it and i have to say like yes i can attest to that <laughs> and i think it's a really good thing to remember because yeah it also gets into the idea like will you regret it if you don't i mean probably so do it because <laughs> yeah a lot of good comes from getting out of your zone as we've already mentioned can't say it enough. Yeah, it's like if you're letting fear hold you back, you might be missing out on the exact lesson that you need. Yeah. I feel like enlightened after all of those amazing quotes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm literally enlightened now. Can you guys see the light like coming through? <laughs> <laughs> you can't actually see me, but. <laughs> yeah, you're very like an ethereal spirit who's like just here, you know, the ghost of Christmas ISFJ. 
Very much so. <laughs> wow. And so thank you ISFJs for coming out, showing me just how much you, you take care of people's needs, how much you put others in front of you. When each of you are speaking, you try to leave room so like you guys can get the chance to talk. It's, it's so considerate and it's so thoughtful and it's so indicative of the good nature that you guys have, the, the goodwill you have towards other people and your kindness, your emotional, consideration of people and I, I really enjoyed how you guys talked about your ability to take care of people's practical day-to-day -day needs and that's amazing and that's needed and that's what keeps like people feeling loved and that their well-being is cared about and that like it, it increases everyone's quality of life every time you do that and so thank you for that and I really also appreciate y'all ISFJs in the occasional goofiness you guys would have. At first, you guys might seem serious, but then when we get to, a little, get to a little know you a little more, that goofiness comes out <laughs> and it's lovable. Yeah, and so thank you for being equal parts introspective and warm and considerate. And I always feel like my needs are met around you. Like when you guys nod considerately when I talk or when someone else talks, I feel affirmed, like you're paying attention. I feel seen. And I'm like, wow, thank you, ISFJs. Your nod it really helps fuel the reciprocalness of the conversation, you know? So I really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> and I also liked the quotes that y'all introduced. It's really good for the ISFJs watching who might be like nervous, you know, that they got through 100% of their hard days. And so they will be able to deal with whatever comes in the future too. And I know that there's a tendency to go into worst case scenarios. So when you introduce these quotes, there will be like ISFJs who will have one less worst case scenario or because of you guys, you know? So thank you for that. <laughs> And yeah, so some of y'all are Twitter people like Rob, Jane, Nat. And so I'll link everyone's Twitters down below. And if if Julie and Roger, you want me to link your social medias below, I can as well. And Jamie, you too as well. Jamie writes articles for Psychology Junkie and they're really good ISFJ articles. And yeah, I just really enjoyed this time together. <laughs> it was really sweet. And I just love you, ISFJs. You bring so much warmth, but in a way that's not overbearing. I really appreciated all of this. Um, so thank you for this time together. And I, I wanna do like future panels too. So that, that might come up too, if you guys wanna participate, up to you all. And so yeah, thank you for existing. Ditto, Queen. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, and yeah, thank you. And thank you, audience members, for tuning in. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes, thank you. ISFJs. <clears throat> what are those? Is that like the less cool version of INFJ? Kind of shallow, likes to clean.
robotic 50s housewife vibes. Uh, you know what? Ain't nobody gonna make a cool rap for ISFJ, so I made one myself. Check this out. Prepare to cringe. Dust, dust, sweep, sweep. Intuitives look at my home and weep. I'm a closet, closet, freak, freak. Tap this any and we can go deep. I'm an ISFJ, yeah, never been late. A day in my life, I see it as my fate to carry out my traditions, even if it's just my own little rituals, like taking all the crust off my bread when I make a PB&J, or texting all my friends on their birthdays. I never forget what's important to me. So careful what you say, I'll play that shit on repeat every day, every day, for the rest of my life. Catch me zoning out when I see a butterfly, and it reminds me of the time that you told me I reminded you of a butterfly, and now I'm super far behind you because my demons are on blast, as are angels from the past. Good luck finding me inside my mind when I'm tripping on time. Snap back to the present because I got responsibilities, but sometimes I wonder if that butterfly is really me. But nah, I think I'd remember that experience, but maybe all my memory is pre-programmed machinery. Is anything real at all? Is this a simulation? Do I have free will or am I just a speculation in the mind of a deity? What rhymes with deity? I don't know. Let's just, let's cut this. This is getting weird. Alright, let's try something else. I just want to take care of you, homie G. So put your coat on before you leave. I just want to take care of you, sweetie pie. So let me comfort you while you cry. That's so lame. That's so lame. We got to try something else. Um, just a second. All right, how about this? Everybody says censors aren't deep, that we can get philosophical. Shout out to Zhuangzi, who I referenced earlier unintentionally. Getting to the point, I promise, what I really mean is that I hold my own on the intuitive scene. INFJ has got nothing on me. Just kidding. You guys are way cooler than I try to be. What I really want to say is that all I want to do is make you feel comfortable and squeeze your secrets out of you. I'm trying really hard here, but I'm tanking pretty fast. My wordsmithing abilities would not get me past a sphinx or a killer or an ENTP, but the last one on the list should definitely kill me. I mean, call me. Yeah. I'm really good at keeping track of everything they lose, on top of all the laundry and the cooking and the dues that we pay to society, whatever the heck that means. Maybe in return they can help me with my rhyme scheme. <sighs> Alright. Gotta take this to another level. You ready? I'm an SEI and I keep it real fly. Don't hang with me unless you want good vibes. Get high, roasting marshmallows over the fire. All the good food and conversation your heart desires. Don't scream at me, I'm sensitive, my ears will bleed. But a friendly debate, that's what I need. Yeah, sign me up. Eileen's on the block, got them lining up. They see me dealing all the cookies and the cozy hugs. Got that mobilizing L and suggestive I. I can be analytical when I try. That's not what I do best, or I would be bluffing. They don't call me master of hygge for nothing. I'll put you in a food coma, tuck you in tight, rearrange all your furniture overnight. Wake up, you'll be in paradise. And that's the work of an SEI. That's a wrap.